the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now it happened that as Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Will you please pray with me? Now, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. Well, good morning. So good to be with you today. I recently heard a story about a barber that thought that he should be sharing his faith with his customers more often. So the next morning when the sun came up and the barber got out of bed, he said, ah, today I'm going to witness to the first person that walks through my door. Well, soon after he opened his shop, a man came in and asked for a shave. And the barber replied, sure, just sit in the seat and I'll be with you in a moment. Then he went to the back of his shop and he prayed a quick and desperate prayer. You know the kind, saying, God, the first customer came in and I'm going to witness to him. I'm not sure what to say, so give me the wisdom to speak the right words. Amen. Well, then quickly, and not wanting to lose what little courage he had, the barber came back out front, holding his razor knife in one hand and his Bible in the other, and he said, Good morning, sir. I have a question for you. Are you ready to die? <laughs> Today, we're continuing our year-long series in Luke's Gospel. And as we come to today's reading, there are a couple of important questions that I want to ask you. One of which is, are you ready to die? Holy Cross, our main prayer for 2020 has been that we'll see Jesus clearly for who he really is. And if there's someone who can help us do that, it's the author of this gospel, Luke, the beloved physician, follower of Jesus and assistant to the Apostle Paul. And as we've seen, Luke's one of those people who's into details. He wants to give an accurate account. And it's because he wants people to know that his account is trustworthy. It's an account that they can make a decision upon. In fact, the most important decision of their whole life. Is Jesus the Son of God? And if so, how now should they live? And today, this point couldn't be any clearer. You see, Luke's coming to a turning point in Jesus' life. Jesus' Galilean ministry is now over, and he has resolutely set his sights on Jerusalem, where he's going to be betrayed and flogged 
and then ultimately he'll endure the bloody cross. And so because of the coming crises and the cost of following him, it's imperative to Jesus that his disciples fully understand who he really is. And the same is true for you and me today. Jesus wants us to fully understand who he really is in order that when the trials of this life come, we are ready to face them unwaveringly in his strength, including the ultimate trial of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Yes, knowing Jesus makes all the difference. So let's turn to our reading from Luke's gospel and see what God would say to us through his word. As we saw last week, the context of our story is that the disciples are being drawn into doing ministry by themselves. Jesus is now involving them more and more in doing the work of the kingdom, proclaiming the gospel, praying for healing and taking on evil. And now in verse 18 of our reading, Luke gives us the setup for this week's story. In verse 18, we read, now it happened that as Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? We find Jesus praying, don't we? And the disciples are with him. It's a key moment in his ministry with them. And so he knows that he needs to be prayerful. He needs to be in communion with his father. The great reformer of the church, Martin Luther, once said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. W. Clement Stone said, prayer is man's greatest power. And Oswald Chambers, that prayer is the work. Prayer is no afterthought for Jesus, but rather it is the foundation and preparation of all that he does. And so having properly laid the foundation, he's ready for this key moment in the life of his disciples. But first of all, he sets up his big question with a teaser question. He asks, who do the crowds say that I am? In other words, What's everyone saying about me? What are you hearing? And so the disciples give him the scoop. Verse 19, and they answered John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Basically, they're saying, no one's quite sure who you are, Jesus. As one commentator puts it, the average Hebrew on the street thought Jesus was excellent. They were impressed with his prophetic character, but didn't have the slightest idea that he was the Messiah. It's not unlike the responses we might get today if we were to ask the average American. In a survey conducted by the Barna Group in 2015, it was found that about half of all adults believed Jesus was God, while the rest would say that he was only a religious or spiritual leader like Muhammad or the Buddha. Well, they just weren't sure. It's also worth noting that younger generations are increasingly less likely to believe that Jesus is God. There's definitely a growing confusion out there, but even people who met Jesus face to face weren't sure. But now we come to the all important question. This is what Jesus really wants to get to. Verse 20, then Jesus said to them, but who do you say I am? And this deeply personal question that Jesus asked the disciples is one that's been relevant for all people for 2,000 years since. Who do you say that I am? And as the Barna survey alludes to, it has been answered in many ways. For instance, most Jews believe he was simply a teacher who performed miracles. 
Most Muslims believe Jesus was a prophet and a wise teacher, one of God's highest ranked prophets. Hindus believe Jesus was a holy man, a wise teacher, and one other God among many millions of gods. And Sikhs view Jesus as a high ranked holy man or saint. But none of these religions would say what Peter said. You see, in a stunning moment of perception for a man who all too often put his foot in his mouth, Peter hits the nail on the head and he says Jesus is the Christ of God. None of these other religions believe, as Peter does, and as Christians have professed since, that Jesus is the one and only God and that this is absolutely crucial to who he is. The word that Peter uses, Christ or Christos, is actually the Greek translation of the Hebrew title Messiah, and it means anointed one. And Peter's on to something here. You see, in the Old Testament, whenever someone's anointed, it has huge significance. They're being consecrated for a particular task, set apart for a special purpose. And so anointings reserved for high priests like Aaron, for prophets such as Elisha, and for kings such as David. And because of its importance, the high priest and the king were sometimes called the anointed one, or Mashiach, which mean, from which we get Messiah. What's interesting about Jesus, though, is that he's unique in having a threefold ministry. He is the great high priest. He is the chief prophet, and he is the king of kings. As the shorter Westminster Catechism puts it, what offices does Christ fill as our Redeemer? Christ as our Redeemer fills the offices of prophet, of a priest, of a king, in his states both of humiliation and exaltation. Yeah, Peter has struck gold with his answer. It's like the school teacher who's just made the teacher proud. He's probably feeling pretty good about it. As Kent Hughes puts it, Peter and the disciples did not understand all the ramifications of the Messiah coming, but they had the big picture. Peter was the only one who said it, but they all nodded and murmured their assent. Jesus was their long-awaited, God-given hope of salvation, their deliverer. Well, having gotten this right, Jesus decides that they're ready for a bit more. Perhaps they can handle what's coming soon. And so he gives them more. In verses 21 and 22, we read this. And he, Jesus, strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. At the heart of our passage today is the heart of the gospel. Jesus will die and rise again. And in doing so, all sin and death will be defeated. Jesus will pay the price for sin that we cannot pay. And for those who repent and turn to him, there will be salvation. In Matthew's gospel account of this same story, we have some added detail that reveals that although the disciples have some idea of who Jesus is, it's still misplaced. Matthew explains that upon hearing Jesus talk about dying, Peter, who remember is probably feeling pretty proud right now, takes Jesus aside and he begins to scold him. He says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus quickly and firmly rebukes him, saying, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, 
but on the things of man. His response gives credence to the idea that the disciples were still thinking that Jesus would be some kind of military Messiah who would free the Jews from the Romans, not a saviour who would save them from their sins, that he would be a superhuman being who would overthrow Israel's enemies, not the Son of God himself, come to rescue all people from every nation. No, hard as it was for them to comprehend, it would be his humiliation that would lead to their salvation. And not a salvation from their earthly oppressors, but an eternal salvation from an even greater problem, the problem of their sin. Well, having given them more about what he'll go through, Jesus does what Jesus does. And he teaches his disciples what it means to follow him. Jesus is always upfront about the cost. And he loses many followers because of this. But there's never any bait and switch with Jesus. And so in verses 23 through 26, we read this. And Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Friends, being a follower of Jesus means dying. It means death. It's what we experience in our rite of baptism. Yes, if you confess him as Christ, you must cling to his bloody cross as your only hope. And you must take up your own cross as you deny yourself and follow him. But it also means giving up what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose. Or as martyred missionary Jim Elliot puts it, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. About the year 1000 AD, 180 years after the death of Charlemagne, one of the most powerful emperors of the Middle Ages, officials of Emperor Otto opened the great king's tomb. Well, in addition to incredible treasures, they saw an amazing sight. The skeletal remains of King Charlemagne seated on a throne, his crown still on his skull, and a copy of the Gospels lying on his lap with a bony finger resting on a particular text. Do you know what that text was? For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose or forfeit himself? What this great and powerful king learned, hopefully not too late, was that those who give up everything for Jesus' sake gain far more in return, far more than this world can offer, far more than financial wealth, far more than educational achievement or political power, physical beauty, incredible pleasures or experiences or great fame and popularity could ever give to us. Yes, through dying to self, they gain real life, a life worth living. And yet, I have a feeling that most of us never fully die to self. That even in the churches throughout our nations, even the churches are filled with people who are clinging to their old way of life for fear that they'll miss out if they give it all up. That somehow giving control to God, trusting him, the one who made them and who knows them better than they know themselves, will be a kind of a second best way. Just this past week, I was listening to an interview 
with uh, Todd Wagner, the pastor at Watermark Community Church in Dallas. He was being asked about how churches in America should respond to the call for racial reconciliation. And I was really struck by his closing words and how it relates to this unwillingness to relinquish control to God. He said this, most people have never met a real Christ follower. They meet a lot of churchgoers and nominal Christianity is one of the greatest poisons that this country has ever run up against. And the greatest evil in America today is the dead, feckless church. The church that has a form of godliness, but denies its power, the power in their own life to see their own sin and their own patterns of injustice. And I think that when people run into those kinds of Christians that aren't trying to accomplish a political agenda, but are living according to God's kingdom agenda, I think you are going to see healing in our world and hope in our world in every way that God intended. I think his point is that it's not enough to recognize who Jesus is, as Peter and the other disciples will discover. No, the response he's looking for is that we'll give up our very lives to follow him, that we'll lay down our own hopes and desires, our plans and dreams and our cultural presuppositions and about how life should be, and that we'll submit them all to his rule and his reign, to his kingdom ways. The kingdom where, as we read in our New Testament epistle, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor male nor female, because we are all one in Christ Jesus. Yes, the true gospel inevitably leads to racial reconciliation. It tears down all walls and barriers that culture and society would erect. And it says that we are all heirs of the same promise, the glorious inheritance of eternal life in Jesus, something none of us could ever have achieved apart from him. But until we're willing to recognize who Jesus truly is and to respond by dying to ourselves, this kind of world will never exist. So as we come to a close, I want to ask you, who do you say Jesus is? It matters. And it's not a question that can be ignored, at least not forever. And if you recognize the truth that he is the son of God, the savior of the world, prophet, priest, and king, then are you ready to die? To say today and each and every day as you wake up, Jesus, I choose you. I choose to follow you wherever it will take me whether it's to the grocery store or to the other side of the world, whether it's to love my neighbor or to love my enemy, whether it's to pray or to protest, whether it's to be loved or to be hated on his behalf, whether it's to live or to die. Because I know that there's something far worse than death itself. And that is to never truly live and to one day find that I wasted my life when he offered me life in all of its fullness. Let us pray. Oh Jesus, Jesus, come and move in our hearts by your spirit. Would you transform us? Would you help us to recognize who you truly are? And then would you help us to respond by willing, being willing to die to ourselves that we might truly live? Lord, for anyone out there today who has not chosen to follow you and to die to self, would they open up their hearts to receive you today? Come, Holy Spirit, 
Bring salvation in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.